podcast from First United Methodist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Does anybody know what is happening on May 6th? Is it really? Y'all all said Kentucky Derby. Is it really the 6th? Coronation of the King. That is the correct answer, Mark. Horse races. I don't even know what y'all are talking about. The Coronation of the King and it's Prince Archie's birthday. It is a big day for those who are followers of the royal family and all their shenanigans. I, I wasn't raised as a royal follower, but at the seminary, it was kind of a thing. Uh, I was dating Felsha about the time Prince William got married, and I think I was. I'm getting this Every one of the women in this dorm got up in the middle of the night to watch Prince William's wedding on TV. Netflix has produced a show that has now gone five seasons. They canceled the best shows in like two seasons. They've gone five seasons focusing on this one family. Every Yahoo News or Google News thing at the top tells you about this family. If you didn't know, part of their family now lives over here because they got a little bit of family drama going on and they're trying to sort all that out. And we have a coronation coming for Charles Philip Arthur George Windsor. King Charles III, the rightful heir to the throne after his mother, the longest living uh, monarch in history, the longest reigning monarch in history. Uh, he is the rightful heir to take the throne, and he has. He has uh, taken his reigning name, and he is uh, leading the, the Commonwealth nations. Before she died, there was this great debate about whether people could talk Charles into just abdicating the throne and letting Prince William go ahead and start reigning. Um, you know, Charles has uh, had issues, he's uh, kind of divisive, he's gotten a little too political with his like environmental justice stuff. Let's, uh, let's get Charles to step aside and have another young prince who will, uh, a young person take the throne and will reign forever and ever. Uh, clearly he did not do that, right? He has clearly chosen that he is going to take the throne. Uh, there are mixed feelings about King Charles right now. Some people think he has done everything right. He uh, is just a great person who's making good decisions for the future of the kingdom, and he has been a great father, and he's done everything right. If you didn't know, one of his sons wrote a book and did a TV special and has done two or three interviews. The audiobook is like 14 hours long. I'm only through like two chapters of it. Um, he does not write brief essays like Georgia. He writes uh, very long books. He said that he could have written another 800 pages if he told the really bad stuff that they would never forgive him for. He just did the 400-page version with the just sort of bad things they did that they might never forgive him for telling about. Um, so really, uh, no longer are we Team Edward or Team Jacob from Twilight. We are now Team King Charles or Team Harry and Meghan. Do I dare poll the audience? Carly, you think we should poll the audience? Darren says no. Do we not want to be a house divided? Okay, so we, will, so we won't do it. Darren has spoken. Uh, but some people are definitely on Team Harry. 
uh, and want to see uh, flourishing and, and goodness for him and his family, for changes in the monarchy, for things to be better, for reconciliation to happen, uh, and for them to be the modern royalty. And some people are Team Charles. It's Team Charles. Uh, we'll leave that there. And then you have a whole nother discussion. Are we monarchy or are we anti-monarchy? Y'all saw this pretty quickly uh, when the queen died, right? There were celebrations of the good she did in the Commonwealth, and then at the same time people saying, look at all the imperialist, colonialist, colonialist things that did happen under her reign. Uh, this is an institution that has uh, caused problems and blah, 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 so uh, we just need to kind of do away with the monarchy. We've seen a number of nations leave the Commonwealth and, and say, it's good to know your mom, we're out of here, and uh, kind of left the kingdom behind. Even if you don't care about this, you have an opinion about uh, Charles. You might not know you do, but in your mind you have an opinion about the institution of the monarchy and whether he should be king, right? We probably shouldn't have asked everybody, so it's a good call. Um, Darren, Darren is a wise person and sometimes restrains me and sometimes he pushes me out there to do things that I'm uh, learning to be comfortable with. But um, we, we grow in community, we grow in community people. But uh, this question is for uh, primarily the people who are his subjects, right? We can care all we want, uh, or we can think all we want about Charles or Harry or William or Meghan or little Archie or baby Lilibet or any of them, but really our opinions don't matter a bit, do they? Not a bit. Not a single bit. I bet you a bunch of us watched the coronation, though. Uh, how you think about your king matters. If you think they're good, if you think they have right intentions, if you think uh, their, their institution is worth preserving, if you think they're going to lead to your flourishing and goodness, uh, I get why the people of the United Kingdom care about who is king and how the kingdom uh, functions. Especially when you're going through Brexit and you have like 19 prime ministers in a month and a half. Uh, some, some kind of stability seems important. It's the same thing we do when we think about our presidents or our governors and reflect on uh, their ability to lead and to bring about flourishing and good for us and those that matter to us, right? Israel did the same thing at every point with their leadership. Is this a good king? Is this a good judge? Is this person going to lead us in a way that allows us to flourish? Is this God uh, who they serve a good God? Are they going to help us flourish? Is God going to bring us out? Is the king going to be mighty? Is the king going to be faithful? Are things going to go well? And for, for them, these were not two separate questions, uh, God and king. They, they went together like peanut butter and jelly. Uh, for as the king is, so are the people, and for as the king is, uh, we know a lot about how things seem to feel about God, right? Um, when uh, we have bad kings or bad judges, the people fall away from God and struggle to see him as good. When the kings are good and their hearts are aligned with God, they seem to draw closer to God and things seem to go, I said good, didn't I? I said a couple times, well. We need to use the proper uh, grammatical category of well, not good. Uh, so it matters in the story. And the people think deeply about whether their king or their judge and whether their God are good or not and whether they're leading them to flourishing or not. 
Brad invited the kids up and had Moses standing over here, and they have left Egypt. God has delivered them out of the land of slavery, out of the arms of Pharaoh. We have seen the, the river rended into two and the people gone through. We have had this beautiful song of Moses as the waters have come crashing down and Israel is delivered, and they do not have the mud off their sandals, and they are whining about water. It would have been better to leave us there to die. You are a terrible leader, Moses, and this God you've got is pretty terrible too. We should have just stayed there. At least there we could have had some food. While we died, things weren't that bad. It would have been better there. You stink and so does your God. God did not like that particularly, uh, particular moment. Uh, um. I'm trying to use the right theological categories to talk about this because our God uh, is God, right? He's an uncreated spirit. He doesn't operate exactly like we do, so it's hard to talk about like hurt feelings because that's not what God has. But uh, this, this idea that they could not trust God who had just delivered them to provide the basic provisions of water um, was painful for him. And that Moses would then not trust how to deal with the situation and would go out and, and stamp his staff instead of just trusting God and, and, and it, it frustrates him and hurts him and yet he doesn't give up on them. We know that the story goes on and uh, despite their grumblings, he finally gives them the water. It's like the car trip, right? You're, you're in the car and somebody's griping, griping. No, you're not going to have that switch. Okay, here's the switch. Uh, God, God provides for them at every moment, even in the midst of their grumbling. He gives them their water. We go down the story a little bit later, and they're like, oh, okay, we're, we're, we're not dehydrated, uh, but we should, we should have died in Egypt because they had food. And so God gives them manna, this grain that will sustain them, and, and they can literally have as much as they want every day, and it's going to come every day, and, and they don't have to worry about food, and they have a plan for the Sabbath. And then they, they go a little bit farther, and they start grumbling again. They're like, okay, Manna's not enough. Um, we would really love some meat. We should have just died in Egypt. They had meat there. God's like, fine, here are your quail. Um, and, and it's rooted in this, this question of, is God good and going to provide the things we need or the things we want? Um, and, and they are sitting there unable to see how good this God is who brought them out of the land and who then gave them the water, who gave them the manna, who gave them the quail. Time and time again, they can't see God's goodness. And it becomes shorthanded for the time they hardened their heart in the desert of Meribah. This becomes the catchphrase of what people do when they don't trust Yahweh. Our psalm uh, picks this up today. Psalm 95 uh, draws us into this story. Most of our psalms are written in exile as Israel is kind of settling into worship in a foreign land, away from the temple. How do we uh, worship God in this area? And these psalms come about uh, through their stories and through their tradition. When they bring together all of this to bear, they create these liturgical moments. And some of them uh, do things like their psalms of lament, who uh, complain because we're now in captivity and things are terrible, but we can trust God because X, Y, or Z. We have psalms of thanksgiving, uh, God is a great God who has done X, Y, or Z. Let's give thanks. And then we have these, uh, these enthronement psalms, these psalms of uh, royal reigning that are supposed to talk about the, uh, the reign of God. And Psalm 95 is one of these, which starts very similarly to Psalm 96. 
Come, let us sing out loud to the Lord. Let us raise a joyful shout to the rock of our salvation. Let's come before him with thanks. Let's shout songs of joy to him. The Lord is a great God, the great king over all other gods. The earth's depths are in his hands. The mountain heights belong to him. The sea which he made is his along with the dry ground which his hands formed. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep in his hands. Now, if only you would listen to his voice. Listen. Don't harden your hearts like you did in Meribah, like you did when you were in Massah in the wilderness, when your ancestors tested me and scrutinized me, even though they had already seen my acts. For 40 years, I despised that generation. I said, these people have twisted hearts. They don't know my ways. So in anger, I swore they shall never enter my place of rest. It's the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. It starts declaring Yahweh's worthiness of uh, the throne which is his and the worship that is rightfully his. And then right in the middle pivots back to this narrative moment in Israel's story. He's worthy of this, but now you have a part to play. Don't harden your hearts. Don't doubt his goodness. Don't, uh, don't flee from his reign. Because if so, there are consequences. And he draws back to the consequences that for, for Israel, were ultimately an entire generation not entering the promised land. It's for a whole generation uh, to, who ended up dying in the wilderness, waiting on the edge of that place that was to be theirs. Come, sing songs of joy to Yahweh our God, but don't harden your heart. It's easy, right? I would never harden my heart. Would any of you harden your hearts to Yahweh? It's just a perfectly easy thing to do, to never, ever doubt uh, God. To never once think, how is this evil still in the world? Never once to think, why did that good thing happen to that bad person or that bad thing happen to that good person? Never once to wonder why that diagnosis was there or that relationship broke down. Never once to ask a question like, why would they die? How could that person uh, leave us behind. Never to ask a question like, where is God in the midst of my pain and suffering? None of us would ever harden our hearts and have any of those questions, would we? Praise God for Jesus Christ. Because the Gospels take this very same theme and flip it on its head. Uh, in today's Gospel story, Jesus meets uh, the Samaritan woman at the well, and uh, he comes thirsty. This is literally, he's thirsty. This time it's God who's thirsty, not the people, and says, give me water. And, and they have this back and forth, and he begins to talk about this idea of living water and meets her in this great moment of weakness and shame. There's a whole story there that is often preached wrong. Uh, I'd love to talk about that text one day. We could do a whole sermon on how she is not at fault for the, the things going on in her life. It is the men who have taken advantage of her. But that's not today's sermon. Today's sermon is the fact that Jesus says, I'm going to meet you in this moment of struggle, and I'm going to give you the water. You don't have to ask for a thing. I'm going to give you a different type of water. And you know what? She doesn't understand. She does not get it for most of the time. She's like, you seem to know some things, and you seem uh, to, to be kind of wise, but 
like, we're waiting for a Messiah, okay? And he gets a little philosophical, and she's still not getting it, and she's asking different questions, and he keeps saying, I'll give this to you. And she leaves her water pot at the well and goes and tells everybody, this must be him. Jesus didn't wait for her to get it straight. Jesus didn't say, hey, could you unharden your heart and get your life straight right now? Then we can talk about living water. Hey, lady, here's the things I've heard about you. Let's uh, sort through this, and then you need to do these things. No, it was, I'm going to give to you living water. And she leaves her water part and goes and tells people, and, and the text says that the, the Samaritan towns were forever changed because of this moment, that people came to believe in this moment where God did this thing instead of us doing a thing. And if we had any doubts about this, when we get to our, our New Testament text today, when we get to the Romans text, it said, while we were dead in our sins, God gave himself up for us that we might have life. Dead in your sins sounds a little more intense than hardened hearts, Right? There is nothing left uh, in these uh, fleshly hearts that could do anything good outside of God doing it for us. Our, union, our communion liturgy says, while we were yet sinners, God proved his love for us. We did not have to prove our love for him. We did not have to get our hearts right. We did not have to meet any preconceived notions or, uh, or uh, ascribe anything to him. Instead, he did it for us. We can uh, debate about whether Charles is a good king or whether Prince William should have taken the throne. You could even have secret option three and have hoped they would all abdicate and Harry would be the king. Whatever. We cannot deny that Jesus is a good king. That his lordship is good. Worthy of our worship that his, uh, his, his requirements of us are light, and that he loves us unconditionally. We can, uh, we can have lots of those other questions. We can wonder why good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people when that person dies and this person leaves this thing. And, and we can ask all those questions, and God doesn't push us away. God draws near to us. Friends, if you felt your heart hardened, um, you're not the only one, and you won't be the last one. If you are full of questions about how and why, God says, come to me and I will give you living water. He doesn't say, come to me and I'm going to give you philosophical answers to every one of your questions. I wish he had. I wish we had the expanded version of the Gospels that said, here is your systematic instruction on every woe of the world, but we don't have that. Instead, we have the Spirit who testifies to our spirit that we are his children and he is our God. And so until that time when all things are made right and there is no more pain and there is no more sorrow, may our worship glorify him and may our lives bear witness to him and may we always draw near to him. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, we give thanks. Uh, that when our love failed, your love remained steadfast. We give thanks that uh, you are a good God. We give thanks that your reign transcends any earthly king or queen. We give thanks that you have called us sons and daughters of the God Most High.
Lord, pour out your grace. Soften our hearts. Sustain us when we're full of why or how. And meet us in this very moment that we might go forth and bear witness to your love. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.